from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. What's the secret to growing a great pumpkin? So we put in 53,000 seeds by hand and we end up with probably 350,000 pounds of pumpkins. We head to the pumpkin patch in search of a great pumpkin this Halloween. The search for answers this harvest season. As you're harvesting in the fall, there's some things that you can do from a data collection standpoint. How to pinpoint problems and help push the bushel as one part of the soybean industry is exploding. You'll basically double it. What could help farmers cash in right now on Ag Day? Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The soybean processing industry is exploding right now, bringing with it new opportunities for farmers domestically and in international markets. Whole soybeans have been the main export focus for farmers in the Northwest Corn Belt going to China through the Pacific Northwest. However, the port of Grays Harbor has specialized in soybean meal. And as Ag Day's Michelle Rook reports, it will be even more important in the near future. Major infrastructure investments being made here at the Port of Grays Harbor in Aberdeen, Washington will help improve the efficiency of moving product and help expand soybean meal exports. Additional export markets are needed for U.S. meal as it will soon become a byproduct of soybean processing as new plants come online to meet the growing demand for soybean oil for use in renewable fuels. We're looking at roughly a 30% expansion, maybe a shade higher than that, in crushing capacity within the United States. That is, we've not had a wave of expansion like this of this magnitude, I think, at, at any point. That's also driving the current expansion and investment at the Port of Grace Harbor with soy processor AGP. AGP's worked on a, a new uh, shiploader and dump buildings. We're making uh, enhancements to the dock by adding fender systems and a new stormwater system to ensure that the run of stormwater runoff is uh, not going to harm any of our fish in, in our environment here. The port has also invested in dredging and the third addition to the rail line since 2000. We're going to add another 50,000 feet of rail on dock rail and it will probably be in the 30 to 35 million. The United Soybean Board and soybean producer groups in the Northwestern Corn Belt have also contributed to infrastructure feasibility studies to aid the project. We've helped to bring the engineering and the planning and all of that up as far as uh, port of grays rebuilding and improving their facility. And that will greatly enhance port capacity and ramp up exports of meal to Southeast Asian customers. It'll basically double it. It'll, it'll go from two and a half to three million to probably six plus million uh, on an annual basis. Having a channel for an additional three million tons is absolutely critical for ensuring that we have connectivity between our production and supply side of the market and our buyers overseas. Construction is currently underway with the target for completion in early 2025, and this project will pay big dividends for farmers. As we have uh, increased economies of scale for export and improved infrastructure for bringing soy to elevators and soy meal from the elevator to the port, investment towards that all means dollars back in farmers' pockets. When you have more efficient transportation, you don't have the same hit that you take on basis. 
Even for me, I'm from the state of Maryland, and it's going to help my basis just as well because the market is a world market. It's not just a local market anymore. Burrier says investments in not only Grace Harbor, but other infrastructure projects are critical as the U.S. grain transportation system is aging. It helps us to be more reliable on air infrastructure, moving the soybeans from the farm down to the final customer. Which keeps U.S. farmers more competitive globally. In Aberdeen, Washington, I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, Syngenta is issuing a full response to Arkansas ordering it to divest itself of 160 acres of farmland in the state that it uses for seed research. The head of the company's North American seed business sharing an opinion piece with AgriPulse. In it, Eric Beck called Arkansas's decision a, quote, short-sighted public ultimatum that doesn't have the American farmers or independent seed companies we serve best interests at heart, end quote. Beck went on to say the quote, while we are owned by a Chinese company, let me make one thing clear. The suggestion that China is using Syngenta to purchase land or conduct operations in the U.S. for any purpose other than supporting the company's commercial business in North America is simply false, end quote. Earlier this month, Arkansas's Attorney General gave Northrop King Seed Company two years to sell its farmland owned in Craighead County. It comes after the state legislature passed a law that restricts certain foreign party controlled businesses from having private land in Arkansas. Northrop is a division of Syngenta Seeds, which is owned by Kim China, which is a Chinese state owned company. Bird flu is starting to become a problem yet again. Cases of highly pathogenic avian influenza are now surging at U.S. turkey farms. The USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service confirming HPAI in 24 commercial turkey farms across 19 counties in five states. South Dakota, Minnesota, Utah, Iowa, and California. 18 out of the 19 counties had already confirmed infections during the summer of 2023, and experts say that suggests the potential for the virus to become endemic in certain areas. As a response to the outbreaks, 967,000 turkeys have been culled. Potential record-breaking cold is continuing to expand across the U.S., bringing a Halloween trick, it seems, for many. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has more. Yeah, a bit of a trick for locations in and across the United States for Halloween. Later on this afternoon, uh, temperatures only warming up to the 30s. That's coming off of uh, a number of mornings in the 30s, and this is as warm as it's going to get in and across the Midwest. 36 Minneapolis, 35 in Omaha, 38 uh, in Chicago. That, as someone that uh, sometimes went trick-or-treating with a mask on, you almost welcome uh, the cooler, if not cold, temperatures. Those things can get really hot and sweaty. 59 in Atlanta, 61 in New Orleans, 59 in San Antonio. As we go into your Wednesday morning, they got temperatures easily down into the teens in the Dakotas, but also uh, into the 30s around freezing, if not below freezing, uh, even into Omaha, uh, 23 degrees there. We will start to climb back out of the cold air and into the warmth, something we'll take a look at coming up in just a little bit. In this photo, just take a moment to take it all in. This one was shared by Josh on the Facebook group Wyoming through the lens and he nailed that. Wow. We know the uh, area has seen a lot of early season snow, but the picture like this makes a hike all worth it. I'll have more on your forecast, bit of a, a warmer trend across the nation in just a bit. Push the bushel boundary on Ag Day is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide. 
raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. This morning, we're starting a new series called Push the Bushel Boundary. The goal, to give farmers the extra edge at getting more out of every field by making some small adjustments. Now we kick things off with Farm Journal agronomist Ken Ferry and tracking down the cause of large yield swings when it comes to corn. As you're harvesting in the fall, there's some things that you can do from a data collection standpoint that helps answer a lot of questions when we're sitting down and going through yield maps. And when we're talking about harvesting corn, again, it's paying attention to the monitor, watching the maps being built. And when you see a area in the field that has a drastic drop in yield, something of concern, then is to right then and there is a the time to collect data to help us answer what's going on. From the combine cab, of course, you can recognize plant height. You can recognize standability. Is the corn down in this area? If it is down, is it is the stalk breaking off? at the ground? Is it breaking off under the ear? Where is it? Those types of notes say, hey, drop a pin here and this is what I'm seeing. That's going to help. Whip out your cameras, take some pictures. If you can't see it from the cab, that's when you want to stop that combine and go out there and first look for a stand count. So check the stand and the good yielding part of the field. Stretch out your tape, count the plants, count the ears, just get your ear count, and then do it in the poor part of the field. So if there's plants missing out there, then it's a situation where uh, there's probably nothing you can do to identify why they're missing unless there's a varmint or something out there that has um, tore the corn out and you can see it. But you can say, hey, we had a 10,000 or 11,000 drop in stand, and that may go back to a number of different things, but at least when we're going through the maps, we'd realize it's, it's a stand count issue. Next, you do an ear count. So how does the ear count? And as those ears drop off, uh, we got plants out there, but we don't have ears on them. Or uh, then you would make note of stalk size. So if there's 6,000 plants out here without an ear and they're a third less in diameter than the plants next to it, that's something that you would note because that would indicate an early season stress. If the stalks are normal, but the ear size varies quite a bit, that would be another thing to note. And that would help tell us what stress or when this stress took place out there. Now for more on this, make sure you check out Ken Ferry's YouTube page. Just look under Crop Tech Consulting. Up next, after a strong end to last week, we'll look at what's causing soybean markets to falter on Monday. That story next. And later, the harvest season wouldn't be complete without pumpkins. We'll visit Washington State's largest pumpkin and produce patch today in the country. General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union have reached a tentative contract agreement. Now, it's hoped it will end a six-week-old strike against Detroit automakers. The agreement follows the pattern set with Ford last week and Jeep maker Stellantis over the weekend. Now, it's reported the deals will last four years and eight months and include 25% general pay raises and cost-of-living adjustments. Also, the union representing St. Lawrence Seaway workers says it has reached a tentative labor agreement that would bring to an end a week-long strike that shut down the key trade route linked to the Atlantic Ocean. The union, representing about 360 workers, said it agreed to a deal with the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation. Details of that agreement were not shared. Corn and soybeans pushing lower to start the week, while cattle had an upward swing. Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. 
Grains closing mostly lower on Monday. Chip Nellinger, Blue Reef Agri-Marketing joining us. And Chip, corn, soybeans, and meal all in negative territory on Monday. How much of that was just some profit-taking? Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with positioning for the end of the month here. Uh, they just had, uh, you know, today and tomorrow, obviously. Then the end of the month uh, is is quickly upon us here. We'll change the calendar over to November. Uh, so I, I do think it was mostly fun positioning here for the end of the month. I do think that the fact that we still are kind of grinding out the last 20, 25% of this uh, harvest uh, with some rain delays is is part of it as well. Once we can kind of get harvest behind us, I think maybe that takes a little of the pressure off. But I think mostly today was about the fun positioning for end of the month. Of course, we also did not get any confirmation of some of this China export business that was rumored late last week on soybeans. And so that might have also been a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, it seems like when we can get some confirmations of these daily flash sales, it gives a little bid underneath the market, obviously. We kind of had some rumors late last week, and we saw a couple announcements uh, last week on some flash sales. But to start this week, nothing. And I, I think that maybe just kind of dulled the mood a little bit at the end of the month and uh, didn't give the, the the bulls much to fight about with this fun selling today. So you don't think we're trading South American weather yet? It seems a little early for that. It is early. I, I think the market uh, the last few years, whether it's here or the Southern Hemisphere, has really kind of been burned a little bit on on trading weather and adding weather premium. It seems like the market uh, just does it like right at the last minute. So it's still too early. They got a long growing season. But I, I would qualify that in saying if we're still talking about dry to the north and flooding rains to the south in Brazil uh, and dry in Argentina, um, say the 12th, 13th, 15th of November, then you've got something that really is starting to matter. Is South American weather and a problem there the only thing that could get corn and beans out of these trading ranges, you think? We got to get harvest in the rearview window, and, uh, and that may be something that kind of gets the market refocused on, all right, Let's talk about going into winter. Let's talk about this crop is now tucked away in storage. What are we going to have to do between price and basis to shake that loose out of the farmer's hands? And I, I think that kind of would change the psychology a little bit here. Thanks for joining us. Chip Nellinger, Blue Ray Bagger Marketing. That's Markets Now, and we'll have more ag day in a minute. Farming has changed. Markets are riskier than ever. For customized, focused commodity marketing, contact Chip Nellinger or Adam Dreyer at 309-550-7213. Ag Day is brought to you by Lamar's Toy Store, the largest and most diversified farm toy store in the U.S. They have new and old and do restorations and customizations too. You need to see it to believe it. Visit lamarstoystore.com or call us at 712-546-4305. I want to start to uh, take a look at the precipitation estimate uh, through Thursday because like I love to do. There's two pieces of the puzzle that we can pull out and give you an idea of what to expect going down deeper into this forecast. Not a lot of rain or snow in and across the Midwest or back out here to the West as a ridge of high pressure starts to build in and that's going to hold Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is what's going on back out to the West Coast. So gearing up for another potential storm system to move through the United States. Uh, not this weekend, but next week. So next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, just kind of put the antenna up and keep an eye on the potential for another storm system to come through. Otherwise, we're going to warm things back up with a ridge of high pressure building back in over the United States. And we can match this up with the map that we just looked at. A pocket of cool, cold air coming through 
for Halloween and also on Wednesday as this drifts off to the north and to the east. We're going to get more zonal flow, but also a push of some warmer air uh, energy within the jet stream is going to bring about uh, not only a quiet pattern, but a warmer than average one as well. This is on Thursday and the signs are already there for a ridge to start to build in and across the United States. So anticipate temperatures to get back to average, if not just a little bit above average in parts of the Midwest, but also on the East Coast as we get into Saturday and Sunday. Kind of a shallow trough, maybe even a short wave trying to come through, cooling those temperatures down, but not seeing much in the way of significant energy in the atmosphere that would kick up a lot of showers or snow across the United States. As we look off back here towards the west, there's that next system, the trough starting to dig or build. This is long term though. This is looking out to next weekend. A lot can shift between now and then, both in the strength of that trough now, how deep it could actually dig, but also the timing on that as well. That's why I say just trying to put you ahead about seven to 10 days or so. This is on Monday and that energy is just lifting off onto the West Coast. So something to keep an eye on as we get to a ridge building out ahead of it. As for the temperature outlook, so this is November 4th through the 8th, uh, that ridge resulting in those warmer than average conditions. Let's go ahead and take a look at what's going on in Maine. A little windy, partly cloudy, high around 35 degrees, low of 20 degrees. I'm Ohio, mostly sunny, high around 43 degrees, 28 degrees with that low. Provo, Utah, great skiing country, high around 51 degrees, rather sunny, low of 29. This week, USDA released more specific standards for livestock and poultry producers that want to label their products as organic. The agency releasing new rules, it follows years of negotiations with organic groups, farm organizations, and livestock and poultry producers. The Organic Trade Association pushed hard for new regulation, saying they'll promote consumer trust and ensure competing companies abide by the same rules. Now, the rules cover issues including outdoor space requirements, living conditions for animals, maximum density regulations for poultry, and how animals are transported for slaughter. Halloween is tonight, and what better way to celebrate than by handing out some dairy-themed treats. Our friends over at DairyHerd.com have some ideas. They include string cheese, which is low in calories and high in protein, chocolate milk, and there are some shelf-stable options, yogurt tubes, microwavable macaroni and cheese, mini cheese wheels, milk straws, cereal cups, cheese crackers, and also don't forget about cow-themed candy like milk duds, cow tails, and cow pies. For more, head over to DairyHurt.com. Nothing says Halloween more than a gaggle of gourds. We'll visit Washington State's largest pumpkin patch in the country next. Today is Halloween and in the fall, many families enjoy heading to the country to pick a pumpkin or two to carve for the holiday. Shell Rook took a trip to Washington State to check out one of the largest pumpkin and produce farms in the state. Pumpkin enthusiasts from all over Washington and Idaho come to Seamers Farm every fall in eastern Washington for their annual harvest festival. We usually get about 5,000 people a day on a Saturday or a Sunday and we do that from mid-September all the way till the last weekend in October. Westover bought the farm from Byron Seamers three years ago and has carried on the tradition of growing thousands of pumpkins for their pick your own pumpkin patch. So we put in 53,000 seeds by hand and we end up with probably 350,000 pounds of pumpkins. 
Besides pumpkins, they sell other produce, including a variety of apples and squash. Plus, they have one of the largest mazes in the Inland Empire. We have a four-story castle in the middle of it, so the kids get to go through the maze, and then their reward for going through the maze is to go inside the castle. But Westover says Seamers Farm also helps families create memories that will last a lifetime. They get to start a tradition. A lot of times I'll take pictures of people out here and, and uh, there'll be a family with their little baby and that's the start of their transition. And I'll hear their story about how they had been coming up when they were a kid and their kids. And yeah, it's just a generational thing. In Mead, Washington, I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks Michelle. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Gervis. Have a great day.